In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to episode 370. This week on the show, first, we take a trip out to the South Coast Botanic Garden here in the Los Angeles area, the site of Moment Factory's Astra Lumina, which is just the second of the famed Lumina Nightwalk series to be put up here in the United States after the installation of Astra Lumina at the Anakista theme park in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, a few weeks ago. We're going to get a chance to talk with Jonathan Jonathan St. Ange and Thomas Pintal of Moment Factory and Isabel Solano, Global Vice President of Live Experiences at Fever, who are presenting this edition of Astro Lumina with Moment Factory. Then we have a chat with Andy Barnes of the Immersive Experience Network in London about what this creative community-centered group has on tap for 2023, including their current fundraiser for their Immersive Huddle series there in the global capital of Immersive. All of that in a moment, but first, I want to draw your attention to our latest backer exclusive and give you a little preview of what's coming next week for everyone. Right now, No Pro backers have exclusive access to an auction of three tickets to Unique Trapman O'Brien's much-lauded The Tele-Library. These tickets are always incredibly hard to come by. They get put up and they disappear instantaneously. And Unique is pledging 100% of the proceeds on these sales to us here at NoPro. Like I said, three tickets are up for auction right now through Tuesday at noon Pacific. And this set is available only to NoPro backers. The top three bids will each take home one ticket for shows that will take place in mid-January. Then on Tuesday, when this auction closes, we'll be auctioning off an additional two tickets in a public auction. Uh, those are probably, it's probably going to be a little stiffer competition for the public ones. Uh, we'll just put out there, uh, if you know, telelibrary. And this is really, this one's out there for the telelibrary fans, the people who want to be telelibrary fans. Uh, as I record this, the top three bids for the backer auction are $70, $55, and $50.00. And we've got four more days to go. So if you've been dying to catch the Tell Library or you're desperate to go back and you're no pro backer, this is your best chance this weekend to score a ticket. Backers can also still score discounts to the Wild Party in Las Vegas and Rumble in the Jungle rematch in London. All of this can be found in the backer exclusive part of our Patreon feed. Speaking of the Patreon. We're up to 387 backers right now, just 13 shy of the 400 mark that we hope to hit by the end of the year. That's thanks to our latest backers, Alex Hilson, Michael Sauter, and our latest sustaining backer. Yeah, we got another one. We, one a week. If keep doing that, we're set. Uh, our latest sustaining backer, Ryan. We remain on the right side of the halfway mark of the $5,000 a month funding goal that we have to be fully sustainable. And every step forward we take is more time we get to build in 2023. So if you can, please jump in and back us at www.patreon.com slash And if you already do or times are tight like they are for me, take a moment to drop us a review on iTunes or in your podcatcher of choice and help spread the word or spread the word on social media. It is ridiculous, but it really does help. And there's so many platforms to choose from these days. Of course, we're also on the lookout for more community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers, just like Unique has, just like the folks at uh, Rumble, at Remix, at, Remix La at Rematch Live. I'm off notes now. You can tell when I go off notes. Uh, and for the folks at Majestic Rep, all of whom have come through. Uh, if you're interested in that, hit me up at noah at noprescinium.com for details. Uh, we, we, we love, we love it. We love it. We love being able to give back to the backers this way. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. 
we if we had like a hundred this is part of the show would take forever. Um, but you know, we'd also be able to do this forever. So mix and match. Okay. Uh, gonna be a little music and then gonna walk you through this tape I got at the Lumina Nightwalk. And then, then we're gonna, we're gonna come back around and, uh, do the interview with Andy. So catch you in a moment. So this next segment is going to be a little different from what we usually do. I've got two interviews I recorded in the field after experiencing Moment Factory's Astralumina here in LA. I first uh, clocked on to Moment... Mm. All right. So this next segment is going to be a little different. I've got two interviews I recorded in the field after experiencing Moment Factory's Astralumina here in LA. Now... I first clocked onto Moment Factory when I saw video of their Kami Lumina experience in Japan, which was built in collaboration with the Ainu people there. Moment Factory has a practice of working with First Nations peoples on some of these signature experiences. And while Aster Lumina doesn't follow that path, it's a story about the birth of stars that reflects on her own individual place in the universe through nine installations that reach into the sublime thanks to masterful blending of soundscapes, path-making, visual spectacle, we do touch on that practice of working with First Nations peoples and more in this conversation with Jonathan Saint-Ange, who is the executive producer for Signature Experience at Moment Factory, and Thomas Pintal, who is the multimedia show director. To help you keep track, I've kept the part of the tape where Jonathan and Thomas identify themselves. And another hint, it's Thomas who takes first crack at an answer before they go back and forth. And, uh, and Jonathan often identifies Thomas as well. So you'll be able to track who's talking to whom. Uh, let's get into the tape. Jonathan Saint-Onge. I'm an executive producer for um, Signature Experiences at Moment Factory. I am Thomas Pintal, and I'm a multimedia director. Moment Factory is known both for some of like some large-scale public works that you you do. Uh, a lot of people in LA might be familiar with the work you've done at the the Tom Bradley uh, Terminal of of all places, and it's like it's it's spectacular there. The Lumina Nightwalk series. Uh, that's that's like something that's like direct to audiences and kind of puts you out there to the public and not just to you know sort of corporate folks or you know in, you know city institutional folks. How how important is this work to you guys as a company or as as artists? Hmm. But that's a it's a good question actually. I think for us creators and for Moment Factory has always done creation that engage people together it's collective experience so even at lax or here in the lumina we engage people in a collective experience through a walk in a forest at night which is totally uh, i would say unexpected so i think it's just an extension of what we're doing it's collective experience we do it like out, outdoor outside we we like the people to be uh, uh, collectively uh, immersed in moment in moments. Do you have something? Yeah. No, it's a it's it's a great question. Um, I think the like, and 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 Thomas uh, gave. A, yeah, that, that's true. We the engagement and doing something like our motto is we do it in public. So for us, it's mm -hmm. always important to do things where where we're gonna encourage gathering, where people are gonna live moments together, where people are gonna have emotions together so for us it's important in anything that we do now permanent large-scale uh, installations like the one at LAX um, y your question was how different is it or how how does it what did you say like how important Lumina night walks are well I mean both both like you know there's, there's a little bit of like how do you approach making making this differently from making a permanent installation that's going to be running all the time but also sort of like what does it mean for the company to sort of have something like this where it's like no but this is ours like because people might walk through lax they they won't know that it's you guys unless they're nerds like us right you know but like this is like oh these guys did this thing and everyone knows it 
Yeah, so those are like kind of uh, our signature experiences. So it's really uh, these type of experiences that we've developed over the years. It's a uh, it's a creation, moment factories creation, uh, inspiration, and ideas that that we offer um, offer to the public. It's also to the idea behind Lumina Night Walks are to create story worlds, so worlds. Uh, so, th so, so to 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 allow the public that comes to see speci specifically these night walks is to allow them to be immersed in in a world and to be in there for for 45 minutes to an hour and just live the moment and 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 for us it's yeah it's to how how are we gonna synchronize those little moments one after another and uh, yeah and allow people to be in. yeah and some some uh, all the night walks the luminas are kind of different some are have more depth in the story because often like I'm thinking of uh, some luminas we've done uh, with First Nations where we also share like a deep story like culture elements and here at Astra Lumina we didn't want to go too deep in a story world we wanted to be very simple just to spark imagination so that the people as they walk through the different like experience they can build their own story and have their own interpretation of what they, they, they what they're looking at I've always been fascinated that you guys have done these walks in, you know, about First Nations or in collaboration with First Nations yep. folks. Is the one in, there's one running right now that's like that, if memory serves? There's, uh, there's one in uh, Quebec, yeah, yeah, yeah at, uh, with uh, La Nation Huron in Quebec City, Onwa. There's one in Japan, in a very deep, very, very far away in the north of Japan. Uh, what's the name of this one again? Ainu. It's uh, Ainu. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, a long process. Huh? It's a long process. It's a, we go, we, we take the story, we take time to, to build it. It's really a collaboration. And all the, the, the multimedia feature we're going to use, they need to serve also the purpose of telling the story. So it's a longer process, I would say, longer pr uh, production process. Yeah. And those, and those tend to stick around a little bit because they're, I imagine they're very site-specific because you're telling the story of a people or helping them tell their story in this format on their land. Right? Yeah, yeah, but actually there's a... And uh, jump in, uh, Joe, if you want, but there's a... There's a to, often we think uh, there's some signature Lumina. A signature Lumina, we... It's, it, it engages us into a, a, a deeper uh, uh, creation. So, and we go and we scout the land. We build up the feature of the land also. Uh, Illuminates uh, sometimes the effect. We will build it in relation of, okay, we've seen there's a beautiful rocks over there and there's a way to turn in a path and there's a sense of arrival. And then, okay, we do this. And then sometimes it just comes when we're there working with the people. So this is a signature. We take very long, it's a lot of time to build upon the land and, and based on the culture. Uh, the difference here in uh, Astra, what is very interesting, is the, the, the installation already exists, they are designed. And then we look and scout the, the, the forest and the garden here and look at where this installation should go. Because there's, I don't know, beautiful palm trees, there's a figuier, there's a, like a turn in a path, and then uh, let's put the insertion there. So we arrive with something that is already designed, but then we choose where to go, where to put it, where to deploy it, so that it, it, it has its own existence here. Do you, do you feel like you wind up in conversation with with the, the new space and that you might even learn always, more? Always, 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 always. It's uh, the same installation. We have, um, we have an Astral Lumina in uh, Tennessee, Gatlinburg in the Great Smoky Mountains. And the same installation that exists there, here, is totally different, different because of the trees, because of the feeling of the land. So it's very interesting to see those installations existing in different places, but having telling something different because the relation with the nature around, the trees and the essences are very different. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have done the work, of course, you know, at home, You've done it in Japan. I think I think there's one been one in Korea. There's some some other spots China. around. Yeah, we did the we did the so so we have one in China, Singapore, Japan, France, Canada, and now USA. What? And France. Did France. I say France? Yeah. Did I forget France? <laughs> you forget <laughs> so France. I forgot France. <laughs> you didn't forget. You said France. <laughs> no, I did. What? Oh, sorry. So so like what? <laughs> 
So what took so long to get to the United States? What was hard? Was it, uh, was it hard to get here? Oh my God! No, 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 no. We it's it's it, it's it's been a long time that we want to come here to uh, to the states. Really, what happened is like we launched our first uh, night walk in 2014. Then uh, the other ones after came in uh, in 2016, and since then we've been uh, answering a large demand. You know, in 2016, 17, 19. Uh, 18, 19, we, we, we scaled the formats in, uh, in many different countries. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. So it's just that the timing wasn't there and we're just, and we were, we were victim of, of uh, victim. It's, I'm just kidding, but we were victim oh, we of the success. <laughs> victim of the, yeah, of the pandemic, but also before previous to that of our success. So we had to, we just answered the demand. And then uh, in, uh, during pandemic, actually, we said like, okay, now we need to, there's a great, great uh, country just, just right down south from where we are, really close by. We have not done anything. So let's, let's try to do something like in the near future. And this is how the opportunity of, um, of uh, building Astro Lumina came. And we're so happy of being here today. And we, yeah. And, and hopefully, because you know what? It's, it's funny, um, like, I think the country, uh, United States, it's there's the, all kinds of nature. You know, you can be up north and you can have a like big winter, and then you can be down south and you have like the desert in the in the Nevada or close to to here, LA. You have like humongous trees and some uh, West Coast forest. I think there's all the kind of the natures are found in this country. So hopefully it's just the beginning of, of what we can do here but because we see great inspiration. And just to surf on what uh, Thomas was saying, um, what we try to do is to put into value what's already there. You know, we're not trying to showcase a technology. We're not trying to showcase some images. We're really trying to put into value the, the natural beauty of a site. And this is why, as Thomas was saying, like as much as uh, this show, uh, Astra Lumina, that we've done in, in Tennessee looks amazing in its environment, when we're here, it's also amazing. But it, it's two different, it's really two different shows. And it was wonderful to see it for me tonight. Um, is that this the same design can be expressed in different ways? If if if, if you're able to integrate it uh, carefully in its environment, and maybe 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 this comes back to your initial question of like how dear this is for us, and for us it's it's all into that delicateness of being able to to uh, yeah to to put into value what's already there. Fantastic. <laughs> you want to add anything? Or? No, no, that's beautiful. I'm very inspired. I want to do more. Let's do more. <laughs> well, I'm really, I'm, really, I'm, I'm so glad. I've been, been admiring your work from afar for a long time. So this was a real joy to be able to actually experience it tonight. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Yeah. Also on hand that night at the South Coast Botanic Garden was Isabel Solano, Global Vice President of Live Experiences at Fever. So Solano is usually based in Madrid. But she's been here in L.A. for the past two months as Fever has been opening up more and more experiences here in the L.A. market. First, uh, from, from Stranger Things to the AC Ducey Club, and now this one. Here's our quick conversation. Fever is really known for, you know, working with folks with have big IP, working with like Netflix, doing, you know, co-branding stuff on Stranger Things. You got the Stranger Things experience here in town right now. This work with Moment Factory, this is like their their original work. This is their baby. What? Why is Fever kind of working with folks like Moment Factory when you have these like big IP things like Stranger Things to do? 100%. So to that question, I think Fever's mission and vision is to empower creators to go farther, not all the creators, but best-in-class creators. We truly believe that Moment Factory are one of the best ones in the world for this type of experiences. That's why when we met each other, it was a perfect match. We, I think we both fell in love with each other. We knew that it was something that could really work between the two companies, this partnership, because on the one hand, Fever is bringing all their technology, expertise, data, etc. And Moment Factory is bringing their creativity, which is wonderful i mean you've seen it today uh it's it's very unique very special and it was just a perfect match so for us it's a natural way of working we like to co-produce with best in class what drew you to 
working in this space, working as the SVP of global live, like all this experiential stuff in particular, like is this, is this something you were drawn to or you sort of came from other entertainment space? Um, you mean my, my yeah. case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are like, yeah. No, so my, my background, I'm coming from Amazon, so prior to this, you mean that? Yeah, yeah. Prior to this, I wasn't working on the on this industry, um, but yeah, I joined the company four years and a half ago to launch this new business in which we are financially invested. And well, we started from scratch. We had zero team members in the team, and now we're more than 200 people spread all around the world. So it's been quite a ride, quite a journey, and I've enjoyed every single day of it. So much of of marketing for this sort of work and, and gathering this work it's, it's been a really rough ride the past couple of years we've had the pandemic we've also had like just things like asked to track has changed the game so how does how do you keep up with all of these challenges while yeah. still expanding the portfolio because yeah. you guys have really expanded the portfolio this year so to that question i would say that it's all about the team i think um i'm fully devoted to my team i think it's the best thing i've done it's hiring all this incredible group of wonderful people who are extremely talented that come from different companies different backgrounds it's so diverse but for real we have people from everywhere i know many companies they say that they're diverse but we're diverse for real and i think it's all been because of them like for example in the pandemic most of the companies were closing doors and well we were growing and growing every single day, doubling the business from month to month. So I'm not going to say it's been something easy, but I can truly say that it's been worth it. And here we are. You guys operate around the world, as, as we all know. You're headquarters in Madrid, but active in New York, Miami, Chicago. Like You, you turn over city fevers there you just came into LA is is there something not not for the people outside of LA going like no I can do an LA question but uh, is is do you see a lot of potential here in this market well yeah for sure I mean LA it's a very very important city for us uh, all the studios all the IP owners are in here some of the best in class production companies are based in here there's truly something in this city right it's I don't want to say there is a hub but somehow we could say that um, so yeah, LA it's so important for us. There's so many partners here that we've already worked with them. And it's definitely a city where most of our big experiences are opening doors. So yeah, LA is super important for us. You've got Stranger Things out here right now. This is just opening. AC Ducey is running at the moment. Anything else in the holiday season people should be looking forward to? Or like, are we, are we done opening for, for this season or is there more? Yeah, we're never done. So No, you're never done. <laughs> we're never done. That's, we're rock and roll. Um, what I could say to the people is that they should check. Uh, I'm not going to say on a daily basis because probably they're not as freak as I am. But they should regularly check the Fever app because there's always something new in the platform coming or something new coming to town that we're bringing from any other place and for sure for this holiday season where we've got Astro Lumina here in LA there are special candlelight editions with nutcracker or Christmas editions and things like that and there are many more things coming I cannot tell you more because otherwise I would be messing up with the marketing campaign but <laughs> but there are more things coming for sure and all of them will be really really exciting thanks before we head on to the next segment, I just want to pause and say Astro Lumina is really, really lovely. Uh, it was totally worth the time it took to drive down to Palos Verdes from the heart of Los Angeles uh, for the walk. Tickets are running at as little as $29 for adults right now. It's like $33 on the weekends. Uh, and that price point feels really great, actually, right now. Uh, uh, particularly for the standalone experience from a team who's you know, worked on projects, like we mentioned, like the, the Tom Bradley terminal of LAX, which is itself spectacular. Uh, and the projection mapping shows at Hogwarts for Universal, uh, which again, spectacular. But there's really something special about this Lumina Nightwalk. And it's the kind of thing that even when you look at the pictures and the videos, you get that vibe of like, this feels like it's something more. And let me tell you, it delivered on it. Uh, I was I was really just just tickled pink. Uh, well, actually, purple laser, but uh, <laughs> tickled purple laser uh, by it. Uh, just just brings out a sense of of childlike wonderment 
Uh, and I hope that uh, we get more here in the LA area or that, uh, you know, I win the lotto and I get to travel around the world and, and check out all these different night walks that they've done. Uh, hey, if you go, uh, tag us in your stories if, if that's a thing you do. Uh, and we'll help blast them into orbit. Uh, I, I love sharing from this one. Uh, it's, it's a really special one. All right. When we come back, Andy Barnes of the Immersive Experience Network in London. Joining us now is Andy Barnes of the Immersive Experience Network in London. Andy and I have talked a few times uh, behind the scenes. Uh, we're going to talk uh, and tell everyone what the network is up to, what they've been doing, and what their future holds. Andy, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thanks for having us. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure and uh, great to, uh, after spending so many times listening to you, talking to all these really interesting people, have the chance to sort of uh, s- stick our oar in, <laughs> come and say hello. Well, well, and 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 y'all have put together some some interesting people uh, yourselves. Uh, you're you're working with a, a number of folks over there as part of the network. Um, uh, for those who aren't initiated into it, uh, give us the the fifty thousand foot. Give us the elevator pitch on on what the network is and, and what the goals are. Sure. So the immersive experience network is um, one of these sort of post COVID kind of things that got born out of. Um, a group of people trying to look at uh, how we can basically grow out uh, of such the trauma of COVID uh, and make things better and try and support the growth of what we're doing around us. And so me um, and some three other co-founders, uh, Sheena Patel, um, Owen Kingston and Joanna Bucknell um, came together, kind of realizing that we'd all been having similar sort of thoughts and started to put together this plan for well, how can we create a collaborative community of immersive experience curators that can sort of support each other and collectively uh, try and create opportunities for the whole sector to grow. And we had this sort of, you know, sort of, sort of uh, optimistic vision that it's uh, we would go further together than we would all be individually um, because we sort of, we sort of see, especially in London, which is such a hotbed of um, incredible sort of ex- immersive experience, um stuff being curated it's like there's always little silos of, of amazing things going on um but actually a lot of that knowledge and a lot of those people were sort of just working independently and we sort of thought actually there is a community here that we can if we come together we can absolutely um create much more opportunities and, and bigger audiences as well for what we're doing so we sort of came together around that sort of principle and sort of started to dig into it a bit more and um try and work out uh how to solve some of those problems. Um, so we've got a whole bunch of plans that we're doing now for next year um, based around sort of three core sort of things that we're trying to solve really. So the first thing is um, creating a network for curators and trying to create spaces for them to meet each other and sort of, uh, forge new collaborations. And, um, you know, this that sort of get out of the problem where you're always using the same people just because you know them. Um, and try and sort of create opportunities for people to uh, sort of come into the sector and find those opportunities to um, find people to work with. We're trying to do a lot of education work and a lot of knowledge sharing so that people who have done the work can share how they do it. Um, and we can start to build some best practice and sort of start to um, build that sort of environment where uh, if you are a new curator coming into the space, um, there are ways for you to learn about how to do it and learn about other people's mistakes which we feel is that, you know, a sort of core principle. Um, and the final thing we're really keen to do is try and really lean into like uh, the research side of things and try and com- create some more commercial data um, on what we're doing in the UK immersive sector. Um, and a lot of this actually now is born out of your work with um, uh, Question Reality on the uh, industry reports. Um, we've sort of taken that as a, as a massive sort of like um, benchmark for uh, sort of a, a data-driven approach um, so we're trying to sort of uh, use the same principles to quantify the size of the immersive sector in the UK, um, just so that when we can start having conversations with people about things like funding and investment, we can really sort of um, demonstrate the opportunity that there is here. Um, and because we we have a feeling that the immersive sector in the UK is potentially the fastest growing creative sector in the country. And certainly in terms of audiences and the diversity of audiences and, you know, how much those audiences are engaged in other culture, um, 
we could potentially be bigger than you know like theater or dance when you combine all the genres together you know depending on which lens you you take to you know, what is immersive and, and you know what's what's in like because it cuts across a couple of different disciplines it can it can be it can be quite large and and yeah the the work that uh Sarah Elgar and, and Ricky Briganti of Pseudonym have done on the the past couple of um industry reports has been has it always comes up with folks and people are always looking for more and 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 wanting more data and uh Maker knows. I wish we had the funding to like, um, uh, to like, you know, pay in to get more data through. It's probably something we should like do do a raise around ourselves. But also, Ricky and Sarah only have so much time, and they're I know they're working on a large project of their own. So um, there's there is this uh, this this need there. Uh, the number one thing people are always reaching out to me about is you know trying to figure out oh what's the new numbers, what are things have scaled, and and I'm really glad you guys are doing this in London because it is. It is the capital for this work, uh, you know, globally. Like, there's just more, there's more shows, more events, more experiences per capita in London that have real ambition behind them than than anywhere else, than New York, probably in New York and LA combined. And those are sort of the next two, and then like you know what Shanghai after that, right? So um, where 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 you all go and what you all do as a as a collective. Um, you know, aggregate creative community sort of sets the limits of the imagination for everybody else in a real way. Um, but you you were mentioning you have you have the th- the three pillars of, of of what you're doing, and the research is is a big part of that, and putting the network together. Uh, but what else what else uh, is in the in the deck here? Well, um, so as, as part of the network side of things. Uh... Well, there's, we did a journey on this one because we've been trying to work out how the best way to uh, essentially create spaces for people to to properly collaborate and to properly sort of um, sort of find each other. Um, so we did a uh, an immersive creator summit in May, which was super fun. We had about 150 different um, immersive creators in a room together, um, and we sort of did a, a day talking about and uh, debating things like the future of immersive. Uh, uh, how to how to make find your venues, how to um, convert venues, and you know, so I was talking a little bit about about the future and what we thought thought that some of the different forms of immersive might be coming through, um, and that was super fun, and I think we all got a lot out of it. But now that the question was, well, what happens next? And um, we've been looking at trying to do like we start off thinking about what well, do we do a really big conference next year? And sort of, we did a one day thing in London. Is it a two day thing now? Is it bigger? Um, but actually we decided against that because we felt that actually the cost of doing that was going to potentially put barriers up for quite a few people to sort of be able to come to it. So instead we're really digging into like the grassroots community side of things and trying to create small uh, immersive creator huddles that we're going to be holding in London uh, over the next year or so. We're going to try and do them at least once or twice a month and uh, sort of deep dive into some of these sort of education um knowledge sharing things which you don't find in mainstream uh thought channels so our first one's going to be about writing for immersive and sort of well how do you write for immersive and actually do you write it at all you know is it is it just can you script are you just creating rules around what people are doing or can you actually genuinely sort of start to write sort of scripting in um in a sort of uh sort of detailed way um we've got a great guy called rob morgan who was a game designer um, and writer in VR and has now moved into doing more uh, live immersive work. Um, and he's going to lead a lot of that stuff. And it's going to be, it's going to be super, it's going to be super fun, interesting, super fun. But the most important thing for us is that we just get the people in the same room and get them sort of sitting next to each other, kind of going, this is how I approach it. What do you do? That's always one of the great also joys of this as a creative community you know we but pre-pandemic we had a, a fairly regular uh kind of gathering in los angeles of the creative community and we're you know some of that's starting to come back uh there's an event here in la called imaginaire do wells that brett jackson of the themed entertainment association is doing it's, it's aimed a little bit more at the themed entertainment world folks but it's also crossover into ours and um that's that's done as sort of like a creative play together thing um, I know we're looking at getting some quarterly meetings going back up, but also having just come off the Denver event, just 
pulling everyone together, getting everyone talking, um, creating the space for the sparks to fly. And there's always this sort of balance between just bringing everybody into the room, but also at times focusing, you know, everyone on, on, on which thing can we, which problem can we solve? Because we do face a lot of problems as a creative community. Um, <coughs> just, and, and the, the, the pandemic hasn't made them any easier, but miraculously the demand for the work seems to have only grown um, as, as evidenced by just, you know, you looking at something like the way fever has been funded and, and how many experiences they're, they're putting money behind and popping up all over the world at this point, you know, that's, that's kind of an undeniable um, metric. Uh, but at the same time, making sure that it's not just the marketplace defining. It's this kind of weird balance between like, oh, there's the business side of this, there's the creative side of this, there's the cultural impact side of this, like who's at the table and 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 trying to navigate these waters can be difficult. I think so. And it's and it's one of the one of the things I love about the community that we we've been involved with is that it's it's a very broad community creating this work at the moment. And it's um and we sort of have it in a couple of different ways. I mean, one of the things we really liked about the event we did um, in May is that we had a genuine representation from nearly everyone within the sort of different immersive genres. And I keep referring to these, no, because these um, we've taken uh, from the immersive industry reports, uh, sort of the different sort of subgenres of um, uh, immersive. And again, forgive me if the terminology is it's not quite right, but the you know things like you know experiential arts, scare attractions, um, immersive theatre. Um, we sort of take those as, as our sort of subgenres, and one of the nice things about about, about having a maze is that we had people from all these different sort of um, uh, subgenres of, of immersive in the same room, and it was even that was quite unique. We had an amazing talk from someone who um, uh, does a lot of LARP, um, LARP LARP experiences, which almost no one in the room had been to before, and some of them didn't even know they existed. But it was such a sort of like, oh wow, that's that's um there's some elements of what he does which is so relevant to what i do and i can you know, there's so much to learn from each other if that makes sense and, and what really excites me is the idea that you know what happens when you put all these creatives together and they start to sort of and start to sort of form new things you know what happens when the immersive audio artist or designer starts making scare attractions with someone because they they met you know in after you know having a pint after one of our sessions and then it all kicked off from there but the but the other sort of if, if that's like a left to right sort of thing the sort of the top to bottom range also is that we have everyone from um arts funded artists right through to your sort of commercial producers who are sort of there creating attractions which are designed to rinse and repeat around the world and sort of earn lots of money and we had this um had this one moment in, in one of our sort of smaller groups where we were talking about how do you um, gauge the quality of a piece of work, and and you know someone piped up with a much more of a commercial background and said, "Well, you can um, you you can always tell the quality because the market will tell you. The market decides." And you could just hear this sort of intake of breath from the arts-funded sort of corner, kind of going, you know, the the, the horror of it in terms of no, no, we we create these experiences for the art of it, for the um, quality of the experience, not the ticket money, but there are things that you can still learn from each other. You know, there's art has to be sustainable in some sort of, in some sort of fashion. Um, and equally, you know, commerce is commerce, but good art can also be commercially viable and commercially um, profitable. So it's, uh, we, we have a, a lot, I think, to learn from each other and a lot sort of yeah. to discover by sort of blending people who would not necessarily normally be in the same room together. And, um, and debating stuff out. There's there's a couple of doors I'd, I'd want to <laughs> walk through, but I'm gonna like hold <laughs> off uh, at the moment. Like there's there's some there's some big philosophical questions in there about you know how how we measure and value the work and, and what does that mean and uh, and that was some stuff that we you know before the pandemic we were very consciously gearing up to have that conversation uh and i think probably we're going to put that back on the table and here i'm walking to the door right um <laughs> because because I, I sort of posit that you know 
from the outside, the market decides, um, and you know the 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 quality of of the work. They're they're in less conflict than you might think. Um, I just want to pause this to everybody because what we're talking about is like different ways of measuring the impact and the reach, and there's some interesting things and and structures and systems that can be put into place to sort of measure the impact, measure the reach, measure uh, how a work is affecting folks. And the the market side of it is just like, well, you know, the raw number of tickets. How many tickets have you sold? How many eyeballs have been on this thing? How many impressions have you got? And to ignore that part of the formula uh, also, you know, limits people when it comes to, you know, what is the impact, right? There's broad and there's deep and, and there's, there's different ways to measure, uh, but there's, there's nuances to that conversation that usually don't get fleshed out in, in large part, I think, because, you know, the folks who are, you know, ours gratis artia and the folks who are, you know, cash uber alles aren't often sitting in the room together, you know, seeing the overlap um, or, or seeing how these sort of principles can reinforce each other. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's part of the fun of, of, of this space of bringing these different disciplines together. It is, it is. And I think, you know, this is an interesting cultural question as well, because um, I, I, we we're just saying before we started, sort of, I've lived in the States for a few years and I, I do think there is a, a cultural difference between the U.S., which is very commercially minded and uh, well, certainly the UK is so where I've sort of lived and grown up where there is a, well, let's <laughs> say a slightly decreasing sort of public funded art sector, but um, uh, there's a whole stream of public funding for, uh, for, for art, for the good of society and for the, um, and that funding is sort of targeted specifically, especially now at, targeting sort of art forms that would not necessarily be commercially viable or art for audiences that would ne not necessarily get access to it otherwise. Um, and that's a hugely important, um, I think, well, philosophically, you know, from a society point of view, that that is hugely important. But interestingly, that's actually something, that's a funding stream which the immersive sector actually struggles to get hold of sometimes because we don't fit into um, traditional labels of pots of funding if that makes sense and you know there's oh, yeah. loads of immersive immersive theater makers over here who have a, had a real struggle convincing people that what they do is theater and you know you we have conversations with people who make these incredibly um in-depth and um deep sort of plot driven escape rooms um but there's no support for them because they're not a you know they're not theatre they're not dance they're not art and um, and so therefore it's not necessarily sort of um, it's trying to work out how to work with those guys to prove the cultural worth of what they're doing you know it's uh, it's something else that we hope that by pulling together some of the data around around this because um, you know this, this is this is interesting little side note with the immersive audiences is that there's a big focus in the UK at the moment with arts funding and trying to get audiences into, into culture who would not normally be part of culture. So the theatres, for example, is a big drive of kind of going, look, the majority of audiences are older white demographic and you really need to get sort of out, out, you know, get new audiences in. Um, and there was a, an immersive theatre show, uh, one of the big producers that took a theatre up to, up to a place called Hull um, and ran the Gate Gatsby in their uh in their basement of their theater um and the theater to this day i think still says it was the best piece of outreach they'd ever done because i think from like half the audience who came to that show had um never been to the theater before in, you know ever and then another big chunk of people on, underneath that had never been to, to that's it, about 50% of the audience had never been to that theatre, but then a big chunk of, the of that portion had never been to a theatre at all, ever before. Um, yeah. But anyone who's seen, seen The Great Gatsby knows it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great production. It's a great theatre piece. So it's a, it's a very accessible sort of, sort of gateway drug to get people into theatre if, if you can find the right production. 
And that's that's the thing that's always excited me about as a theater kid about what immersive does for theater as theater is opening up those new audiences, uh, showing people that the the art form, you know, is beyond what they think it is. And particularly that the art form can do things that television and film can't, uh, which I think is hugely important in an era when, you know, cinematic quality material is constantly being fed to us on a drip feed or just dumped into our laps every week uh, at, at, a, at a ridiculously high production value. And some of that's going to change, you know, as the economic, the macroeconomic conditions change, but uh, not all, it's not going away and it's, it's all, you know, dripped into f- people's feeds for less than $20 a month. Uh, if, if all you do is get one of these, you know, services and mm. you, can, you can, you can eat well, uh, even if that's all you have. Um, and, and there has to be a fundamentally different proposition for getting someone to leave their house and engage with other people. And I, the thing about immersive is just helping people rediscover the, the special qualities of liveness, the, the unique qualities of being in a, in a, designed space with each other uh in order to collectively experience something uh, well, we're, we're waxing philosophic um, yeah. as we are want to do on the show uh there's there's a couple of things i want to tick down here one um just what the plan is for you know, what some of the stuff you have on top for 2023 since we're here in december uh and specifically i've got a question about what, what uh in a lot of the materials you've got you guys talk about immersive huddles so I'm wondering what what are the huddles and and what's on tap? You mentioned a little bit about some of the educational stuff you're doing, but um, maybe maybe break this one down for us. So you mentioned the uh, writing huddle that we've already got arranged, um, and we're going to try and do another sort of three or four of those over the year, um, bringing people together just to um, explore uh, different parts of creating immersive work. So it's going to be very much like four curators to talk with each other um, and knowledge share with each other. Um, and we're fundraising for that and some of the other sort of pieces of work we want to do during the year at the moment on a Indiegogo campaign, um, which is uh, a seed fund, we're calling it for next year to help underwrite some of that work. Um, but also in there, we sort of talk a little bit about some of the research work we want to do as well. Um, we've got uh, our eyes on doing a big uh, audience um, piece of research try and dig into some of the um, data around the audiences that we are targeting and what they're into and what they're looking for and where they are. Um, Several partners have come on board and sort of said, we want to get involved in that because they are looking for that data as part of their show developments. That's really interesting. Um, And also we're fundraising to sort of try and, you know, start recording these huddles and and generating some of this educational content to start creating a bit of an educational library which we hope to make sort of publicly available um, online so that if you are a new creator looking to sort of come into the sector, um, there is a bit of resource for you to sort of start picking through in terms of trying to learn how to make the, how to make the work. And as we said, trying to, you know, learn from other people's mistakes as well and sort of, so you don't have to make the same ones yourselves. That is the number one thing that everyone is always looking for, and indeed something that I wish I had more time uh, to help everyone out with, and, <laughs> and and probably something you know we're, we're, we'll we'll do some stuff here on the institute side as well. Um, Andy, I'm I'm so glad we'll put the Indiegogo in the show notes for certain, uh, but I just want to say I'm so glad you guys are out there doing this. Like, there's a real esprit de corps with what we've been doing out here in LA and in New York, and it's it's just good to see you know, the community operating qua the community because um, it, it feels like a chance for us to, you know, do it right for once. Uh, <laughs> we can try, uh, you know, we can try. Yeah. We can, that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, turns out Yoda was wrong. There is a try. Uh, Nemec <laughs> teaches us that, but that's another thing. Wink, wink. Um, for, for everyone who wants to, uh, to check out in the show notes, both the Indiegogo and Immersive Experience Network. And uh, I suspect, you know, this this is not the only time you're going to hear Andy on the show in, in the year ahead. So um, we'll we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you much. Once 
Once again, I want to thank all our guests this week, Jonathan, Thomas, Isabel, and Andy for joining us on the show. I just, we didn't talk to any Americans this time. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and, and we talked to people uh, in person. Also, also awesome. Uh, you can tell I, I love nothing more than getting out there and doing interviews on site and in person and just excited about that. Um, it, speaking of which, uh, something you should all know. Uh, thanks to all of your support, uh, we have been able to, uh, even, even though like I'm still like, you know, paranoid about paranoid about making ends meet, uh, we've invested a little back into uh, the the machine here. Uh, we've we've bought a kit for Shelly in London. So and now I'm putting Shelly on the spot. Uh, Shelly's going to have uh, going to have some interviews in London. Uh, we There's a whole bunch of folks we want to talk to. There's a whole bunch of folks we know want to talk to us. Uh, doing some stuff in situ there. Um, I've got a couple of ideas uh, that Shelly's excited about uh, tackling uh, for the year ahead in London. And as we know, just London's going to keep on popping off. So very excited that we have that there now. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a wonderful thing for all of you. Uh, doesn't mean less work for me. <laughs> it doesn't mean more work either. I think it just means a, a work swap. So don't think I'm getting off on easy street here. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a week out from the last time I, uh, from my first negative COVID test. Um, uh, I am feeling obviously a lot better cause I'm going out. I'm, I'm masking like wild though. Also went out and caught, um, uh, Vinny DePonto's uh, mind play at the Geffen. A friend had tickets. Uh, Siobhan, Siobhan, friend is Siobhan. Siobhan had tickets because uh, she's got like season tickets. She's like, do you want to go see this play? Didn't not knowing that I know Vinny, uh, and so that was that was wonderful uh, to go see go see Vinny uh, working at the Geffen. Uh, if you're here in town, it's great. Also ran into Russ from my haunt life. Haven't seen Russ in a while. Uh, he was there because Russ loves magic, so it was it was great to be able to run into Russ. Uh, and, uh, again, fantastic show. Uh, just, uh, just Vinny DePonto does great work. Uh, if you didn't know already, and, uh, if you didn't, now you do. And, you know, we've, we've had him on the show, uh, in the podcast in the past and it's good to catch up with him. Uh, and yeah, like there's a part of me that wants to go back to Astrolumina. Uh, it's, it's true. Uh, I haven't done too many of the kind of zoo lights, you know, botanical garden light shows. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've liked what I've, what I have done so far, uh, but it hasn't necessarily, you know, blown me away. And, uh, I went with a friend, uh, who has, who's done, done a few and, and they said, oh, this is just orders of magnitude, you know, above like what some of that stuff is. And, and it reminded her a lot more of, uh, going to, to Burning Man. Um, uh, the, the, the caliber of the installation pieces there. Uh, you can see some of that on our Instagram feed. I put, I put a couple of, I put a video and some pictures up. I also didn't take some videos of some of my favorite bits. Uh, and I held back some video cause I think that it's something you should really experience for yourself. There's just some spectacular moments there in Astrolumina. Uh, yeah, that's it for now. Uh, check it out. Our next couple of episodes, they're going to be team-centered. Next week, towards the end of the week, we're going to be releasing our critics' picks, our best moments and our best experiences, shows, events of 2022. The team is is getting those into me now on their deadlines. Clickety, clickety, clackety. Uh, I'll be writing mine over the weekend. Clickety, clackety. Uh, but we're also talking to uh, team members. So there's going to be some individual segments. I've already recorded one with Nicholas and one with Shelly. Uh, I've got some more coming up uh, over the next week, hoping to get everybody in. Um, and uh, we'll have this like nice meaty episode about everyone's moments and experiences. Uh, that'll be next week. And then the following week, we're going to have uh, our traditional kind of look back at the year. So the senior team's going to get together. We're going to talk about just, you know, the year that was uh, in 2022. Those are the last two episodes of the year. We're taking the last week off. So no podcast over uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's. You, you know, sometimes we've done like look ahead shows, but I, I just need to give everyone a break. Um, you know, as we all know, everybody 
everybody but me is uh, a volunteer and, and, and I make what's essentially a, a part-time salary doing full-time work. So we need time off is what we need more than anything. Uh, and my last bit of time off, which was called Thanksgiving, was, was stolen by COVID. So I really need time off. Uh, and I appreciate all of you for funding us and, and letting us do this at a, at a sane human pace. Um, anything else you should know about? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a major piece of news. I forgot to tell everybody at the beginning because, you know, I was all worked up about getting all the you know, telelibrary stuff and, and the, the framework. Uh, we've announced the dates for the next stage, uh, 2023. We've announced the dates in the venue. Uh, we are going to be here in Los Angeles uh, at Arizona State University's California campus uh, in the uh, in the historic Herald Examiner building. I'm going off my memory and not my notes right now. We have a wonderful partner uh, in the form of ASU who are co-presenting the 2023 uh, uh, Next Stage Summit. The dates are going to be June uh okay now now i really i need to i need to look at the notes see again <laughs> look at me like not preparing for the most in some ways the most important news we can have for 2023 and i'm just like oh, oh yeah it's just a thing that we're doing um you know whatever whatever's directly in front of me that's the, the most important thing at the moment welcome to my brain all right so here we go um Yes, the dates are June 2nd through 4th. I knew that I just didn't want to get screwed up. At Arizona State University's California Center in the historic Herald Examiner building here in downtown LA, uh, the 2023 edition will be co-presented by the Immersive Experience Institute, that's us, uh, and Arizona State University's Herberger Institute for Design and the Arts, whose hub in LA is at ASU's California Center. Um, the building, I want to wax poetic about the building for a second. This building, the Herald Examiner building, this is, the Herald Examiner was um, a Hearst's uh, a newspaper in Los Angeles. Uh, and so like the main event space is actually where the printing press was once upon a time. So when you're holding an event, you're, you're there in the printing press uh, area. It's good. The press is long since gone, but like you're there. The building itself uh, was designed by Julia Morgan and it was the building she did right before Hearst decided to hire her for San Simeon for Hearst Castle. And the lobby of this building is just amazing. So it's a Julia Morgan building. It's got this amazing lobby. It's got a whole bunch of classrooms. It's got like a, it's a cutting edge brand new media center uh, from ASU uh, who are just making lots and lots of inroads and they've been incredible partners so far uh, and, and, and look to be an incredible partner going forward. So we're just really excited about doing this and we've got some plans that are stirring and like the, the team's been talking about what we want to do and, and how we want to make it different and how we want to keep on making it better and changing things up. And I'm excited for what is going to come about uh, in this event, in this collaboration. And, you know, as you all know, that we finally get to do the thing. Uh, I joked at one point, this is the third inaugural. Um, I swear to God, if something happens, like, if, if, like, nothing short of a nuclear attack. Knock on wood that we don't have a nuclear attack. Uh, we're, we're getting this one through. Um, and, you know, coming off of Denver, just, you know, like supercharged by having everyone back together again and, and getting to be part of the team doing that. Uh, and now it's getting to press forward. So, uh, yeah, there you go. We announced the dates. <laughs> That's how busy of a week it's been. I've, I forgot the big thing we announced, which was that June 2nd through 4th, there'll be more information about, uh, programming, about tickets, all that good stuff. That's going to be coming in the new year. Um, we'll, we'll have like a, a rolling series of announcements, uh, as we set all that into motion and, and lock a few things down. But, uh, yeah, uh, just about, uh, six months from now is when, uh, is when we get back into the groove. All right. Let's wrap this up. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. 
Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and the award-winning Solar the Podcast. Uh, Chris has Chris has done very well for himself with Solar. You should check it out. Uh, special thanks to Shivana Lachlan for voicing our intro and for taking me to see Vinny DePonto last night. Uh, <laughs> no Pro Podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>